Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. So, Jay, I have some news, but first off, we'll see if this turns into like a little series. I want to talk about experiments. I feel like a lot of people, and, and this includes me, this is was me most of my life, just, you know, you have your routine, you have your morning routine, your afternoon routine, your evening routine, you know, you're going to do on Thursdays, on Mondays. And I write about this and skip the line. In order to really learn something, you have to do things. You can't just think about things. You have to do things. and of course, I don't need to do things that have already been done. You need to do experiments. You need to experiment with things that you haven't done before. Of course, you want to do safe experiments and you don't want to hurt anybody and you don't want to hurt yourself and you don't want to take huge risks. But that's the idea of experiments is that you have a theory that could improve your life or a theory that you want to try out or an area that you want to be better at life in. And so you figure out an experiment to make yourself better. A great example might be I always use comedy as an example, but I'll, I'll use, I'll do comedy and then I'll do a business example. In comedy, if you want to be better at dealing with a hostile crowd, here's an experiment. Do stand-up comedy in a subway. It's scary, but it's easy. It's cheap. It costs nothing. Well, subway fare. So what, well, I don't even know. Like $2. 225 Wow. They raise prices. Yep. There's little downside. The worst case is a bunch of strangers heckle you. And there's huge upside, which is that you'll get better at dealing with a hostile crowd. And because people are only on the subway for a few minutes or seconds, you have to tighten up your jokes. So that an experiment like that, the upside is you'll greatly improve. And the downside is you'll learn a little bit something about yourself. You'll conquer your fears a little bit because it's very scary. I've done it. And you'll uh, have a story to tell. So in business, an experiment might be, well, I wonder if this product is good. and you make a little ad and you put it on your Facebook page or maybe you advertise it on Facebook with a $20 budget and you simply see if anyone clicks on it. Particularly if strangers click on it, it might mean they want to buy it. Like let's say I designed some clothing, but I haven't made it yet. I'll make an ad for the clothing. And like, let's say I have an astronaut helmet as a COVID mask, a uh, new COVID mask. It's the International Space Station COVID ma- official COVID mask or some some jokey thing. And if people click on it, you know, buy now. And if people click on it, okay, you don't have it yet to sell it to them, but it's a way to test an idea. That's an experiment. You didn't know, you maybe had a theory that people would like this, and then you do an experiment that's easy to set up, takes a few minutes, it's cheap, and you'll learn, do people like this or not? And the downside is you learn they don't like it, and you also might learn how to do Facebook advertising if you had never done that before. It's pretty easy, so it's a good thing to try an, exper- an experiment on. Or you have the upside is, oh my gosh, 100% of the people who looked on this clicked it. That never happened before. This is going to be a huge winner. And then you actually start selling it. Those are examples of experiments. And at every given point, and I think experiments are a key component of skipping the line. So in the 1960s, there was this guy, Dick Fosbury. This guy was a high school athlete. And the way people used to do the high jump is they would run forward and then throw their legs up over the high bar and and jump forwards. 
And Dick Fosbury wanted to do an experiment. He's like, what if I jump, my legs are really long and I keep hitting the bar. What if I jump backwards? And the coach is like, well, yeah, that's insane. You should, people have been doing this for a hundred years. And this is like his high school coach. And I write about his story in, in Skip Line also. And anyway, so he jumps backwards. And two years later, just two years later, he wins the gold medal in the Olympics and breaks every record. And now jumping backwards is called the Fosbury flop. And that's how everybody does it. So he did an experiment and it had enormous upside. And if it didn't work, okay, he tried it. And he, and, and when you try something you love in a different way, it builds a holistic, more holistic knowledge, like more well-rounded knowledge about this activity that you love. So that's, that was the downside and it was easy and cheap and so on. But anyway, at any given point, I'm always doing five to 10 experiments and or I'm having ideas for experiments. And so I want to make a series called My Experiments, and maybe it'll encourage you to do similar kind of experiments, you know, encourage the listener, or maybe you could just see how I think about these things. Because again, this is the way not only to to learn something fast, but I mean really fast. Like you, you like forget the 10,000 hour rule. You just really need to do a hundred experiments in any area of your life and you'll be in the top 1% in the world in that area. I am convinced of this because I've done it over and over again. And I've seen many of my podcast guests who are very much more successful than me do the same approach without even realizing it. So here's one experiment I'm doing. I'll discuss it a little bit, why I'm doing it. And maybe this will be a, a short podcast. I would encourage you also to do this experiment because it's fascinating. And you know, if you like this idea for a little mini series, of experiments and how to construct an experiment, how to basically improve any area of your life or learn new things, let me know on Twitter or whatever, or write a review on iTunes, which always helps me out incredibly. When you write a review on iTunes, I feel like that it gives me so much dopamine. It's like a dopamine hit and I, and I feel like I need it occasionally. So anyway, here's the experiment. I'm an official candidate, according to the US government now, I'm an official candidate for president of the United States in 2024. And not only that, I think you should be, you, the listener, all the listeners should become candidates for president of the United States. First, let me explain that. You know, during this election, everybody was so polarized. You know, you're either like super Republican or you're a super Democrat. And it was really hard, as you, as I'm sure you guys know, particularly if, if you're listening to this, it was very hard to talk to people because you had to kind of like watch out, like, oh, are they this? Are they this? And uh, and then you couldn't say the wrong thing or you'd be canceled or that or that. And I'm talking about if you liked Biden, you know, people would say some things, or if you like Trump, people would say some things. And I don't really care what people think. I am apolitical on purpose. I feel like the role of, you know, I play a little bit of a role as a podcaster in that I want to be politically neutral so I could have both Democrats and Republicans on the podcast and not have any cognitive bias toward between one or the other. I've had libertarians on. I had the, the presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party. I had Andrew Yang. I have I've had Ron Paul. I've had Republicans, Democrats and for years. And so I feel it's important for me to be apolitical, although I learn a lot about the issues because I have I, I research these people and I study the issues and so on. But it really disturbs me when this happens, when when the statistically impossible happens. So every like 
everybody who is a Republican, they have like 80 issues and they all believe the same way. Every Republican believes the same way on all 80 issues. And every Democrat believes the same way on all 80 of their issues. That's statistically impossible. Why should it be the case? I'll just use a random example. Why should it be the case that everyone who thinks hydroxychloroquine can cure COVID is also in favor of lower taxes? 75 million people believe hydroxychloroquine can cure COVID and also they believe that there should be lower taxes. And another 75 million people who who don't like hydroxychloroquine also happen to magically think there should be higher taxes. So it's statistically impossible for such for topics that have nothing to do with each other for all everybody who's Democrat to feel the exact same way about these two topics that have nothing at all to do with each other. And I'm just using that as an example, but you could take all the issues and everybody got so polarized. By the way, not everybody, I'm exaggerating, but a large percentage. And you guys know what I'm talking about because it's your it's your family members, your your friends, your neighbors. You know some people where it's they're all correlated, which is statistically impossible. And I kept thinking to myself, a real democracy shouldn't always be the case where we have to always say, well, let's just vote for the lesser of two evils. And now I know some people really liked, you know, Trump was the best or Biden was the best or whatever. But a lot of people would say to me, oh, I'm just voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, lesser of two evils is still evil. And wouldn't it be great if we had other choices that, and people say, well, you can't vote for any third party candidate because they're not going to win. So it's a waste of a vote. Trust me, most of your votes are wasted anyway, because 150 million people vote and it all boils down to a few um, states anyway. So any votes in New York or California or, or other states, I don't even know, are kind of useless. And I remember there's this story by Isaac Asimov that just occurred to me. Jay, you seem like a science fiction guy. Do you know the story? It's a, uh, no. let me just Google Isaac Asimov election story. The story is called Franchise. And basically, like right now, political analysts say, well, everything's going to boil down to Ohio. Ohio is the only state that's important. Or this region is the only state region that's important. And in the future, Asimov kind of writes a story that they, they narrow it down. Well, not only is this one state important, but this one county is the swing county in that state. And that's the only county where the votes are important. Well, in this county, there's one town. And in this town, there's one block. And so finally, in the future, this computer called Multivac figures out that a single person is the swing voter for the entire country. And the whole story is about that. And that's it's kind of true even now, but it's just kind of funny that there was a story by As Asimov about it. But voting... Yes, we have the right to vote, but it's not an obligation. You have the right to vote just like you have the right not to vote. I'm not judging anybody either way. Never, never judge uh, something that's so innocuous. But people would say, well, if you don't vote for my candidate, basically, then you don't have the, you don't have, you shouldn't have a voice in this country. And I was thinking to myself, you know, everybody should have a voice. And really, I want to listen to voices because. I feel like most people are just talking BS. Like most people either don't know the issues or they don't know the subtleties of the issues. These are very complicated issues because that's why they are issues is because they're so complicated that smart people have not yet solved them. But, you know, 
a lot of times politicians are just making promises to win. So you kind of don't really, and I'm not criticizing any candidate for this. You kind of really don't know how someone really think, what someone really thinks about an issue until they get elected because they might go back on their promises. This has happened with essentially every single president ever. The other thing I'll mention is that I went to newspapers.com, which is an archive of every newspaper since the 1700s. And I, I searched for the phrase in quotes, most important election ever. And I wanted to see, cause everyone was saying 2020 was the most important election ever. And maybe it was, uh, it certainly had a lot on the line, but according to newspapers.com, the phrase most important election ever has occurred quite a bit. So essentially we had the most important election ever in 1800 when it was Jefferson versus Adams. Also in 1804, 1808, 1812, 1816, all the way through 2020, every single election, many newspapers said like in 1820, like the Tennessee Gazette or whatever said, this is the most important election ever. Without fail, every election has been called the most important election ever. So it really just makes you think like, obviously that's can't be true for all of the elections. So instead of it being all about a game, a popularity contest, the, mo the most important election ever, what just, what, what do people care about? Who has smart ideas? The real secret of a good constitutional democracy is that there is a free exchange of ideas and that if people disagree with each other, they come to some, that they use the process to come to some consensus or, or they decide who is going to win this time. And then they move forward because then there's the next election. Obviously that's kind of breaking down now where people are unfriending each other and, and hating each other and, and there's violence and when people disagree, but that's the opposite of democracy. You want people to disagree with each other. You want to disagree with other people so that you know, and you want to, it, it's almost, you should have the practice of talking to someone who disagrees with you and have a discussion with them instead of an argument. Cause most people are wrong anyway, or most people don't know all of the issues. I'll give an example. And I've probably given this example before my business partner is pro-life and I'm pro-choice, but we've never had an argument we, we, because there's too much at stake. We have, we're, we're very good friends. And even though I feel, feel strongly about pro-choice, He's religious. He's religious since he's a baby. His family's religious. So he's pro-life. It makes sense for him. And I just want to just say a few words where like he doesn't just sort of protest at Planned Parenthood or whatever. He takes in foster kids. He adopts kids. His wife counsels young girls who, you know, either, you know, make various decisions, but they just need, you know, legal help or they want to find adoption for their kid if they have the kid. So they're really good people, like really good, honest people. So it'd be silly for me to be upset at him for disagreeing with me, but we have discussions about it and there's nuances. Like nobody really knows when conception begins. And, you know, and even if conception begins the second you have sex, maybe, um, it's okay to not consider this person real until they're born. Like there's all, there's a thousand different ways to, to look at this. And I always try to be fair. A good important concept is I try to do what I've talked about this before. I try to do what Charlie Munger calls invert, which is try to argue the other person's side even better than them. And ever since I started doing this, 
my life has gotten better because it's even, I've even gotten to be a better at debates and discussions because when someone's trying to convince me of something, I've already in my head argued their position against me better than they do. So I will tell them, look, you're not convincing me, but if you want to convince me, do X, Y, and Z. Maybe talk about this, talk about this, talk about this. And by the way, that builds trust with them. And sometimes I do get convinced and it lets me have an open mind. I've, I've changed my mind on, on various issues over the past couple of years. And it's just, it's just an interesting way to do things. But let's get to the experiment. I figured, you know what? Everybody tells me people who don't vote shouldn't have a voice. And I disagree with that. I think everybody, everybody who's intelligent and has some sense of the issues and has looked at them, probably people a lot smarter than me that I could learn from, I would like to hear their voices and hear what they think, particularly if it's unique. Uh, you know, it's like Andrew Yang told me, there is a lack of supply in the market of ideas. So good ideas are very valuable, whether you vote or not. I want to hear good ideas. And so how do you avoid people saying you don't have the right to a voice if you don't believe in X, Y, and Z? Well, I figured I'll run for president. This is the experiment. So I went to fec.gov and I'll go there right now. It took about 10 minutes. I filed to run for president. And you have to put your campaign committee, but it doesn't have to be incorporated or anything. You just put the name of your committee and you say what election you're running for. And now if you've searched for me, you'll figure it out. I'm not, I'm not going to go step by step how to do this because it took me 10 minutes to figure it out myself or 15 minutes to be fair. And I'm officially just like any other candidate is just like Joe Biden was and Donald Trump were in, 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 in 2020. I am officially just as much a candidate for president in 2024 as any other candidate. And by the way, let's, let's, let's search on candidates for a second. Well, I'm going to search for myself first. Uh, here's my campaign committee, uh, candidates, James Altucher, and then committee, James Altucher for president. And I have a little ID. It doesn't show me, I have to search in the raw versions, but let's click on raw versions for a second. And here's everybody who has filed committees recently and what they're running for. There's a lot of people running. I remember in 1980, there was no internet website. So I, I was 12 years old and I wrote to the federal elections commission and they sent me this like hundred page printout because there was like a thousand people running for president. And you think, oh, it's just the big guys, but no. And so I made it like I was 12 and my parents were very upset because phone bills were very expensive then. And they would, every month I was like an addict. I'd get home from school. Sometimes I would even skip school and to do this. I would just call everybody in this federal elections commission printout all day long. I called every candidate. And again, not like the big ones, Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan were running against each other then, but I would call, and Ted Kennedy was running in the primaries. But there was, I remember there was this one guy, I always remember him, Jim Boren. And B O R E N. And I wonder if he's still alive. Hold on one second. Anyway, Jim Boren was, was a genius. He wasn't running for president. He was running for vice president, vice president under who? Nobody. He just wanted to be vice president. And he was even telling me it's the best job in the world. You don't have to do anything. God forbid someone dies and you have to be president, but vice president, you're like the second most important person in, on the planet. And you don't even have to do anything. You have to do nothing. And so, and I'm like, well, you know, my interviewing skills weren't what they were now. So after I asked him what he ate for breakfast and where does he live and is he happy? Uh, 
he, um, he, I said, what's your slogan? And he says, uh, he says, slogan is, when in doubt, mumble. Here, here, here it is actually. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. Oh, he, I saw he, he, he died in 2010 at the age of 84. He said, when in charge, ponder. When in trouble, delegate. When in doubt, mumble. Genius. He's, he's my favorite candidate ever. But I call, I remember I called another guy who was, um, he said he was the great grandson of chief crazy horse and he was running for president. I talked to so many insane people, uh, during this process. And I talked to some, you know, I talked to the wife of John Anderson, who was the third party candidate who got, I think he got like 20% of the vote in 1980. He was like a liberal Republican. And, uh, she, she was very upset at me because I kept misquoting her. She said, read back the quote. And I would miss, I was 12 years old. And I actually uh, got my interviews, all, some of my political interviews published in the South Brunswick Central Post, and I got paid $75 for it. So I was a professional interviewer at the age of 12. The only problem is, is this is a skip the line technique that I wouldn't recommend. I kept calling these senators and congressmen and saying, oh, I am calling on behalf of the Middlesex County Home News. Can I interview the senator? Like, Senator Kennedy or whatever. And so I remember it was, I think it was Paul Sarbanes from, I think that there's a bill called the Sarbanes-Oxley bill. So I called Senator Paul Sarbanes, I believe he was from Maryland. And I said, I wanted to interview him for the home news. Again, I was 12, please don't judge me. He calls the home news. And a day later I get a call from the editor in chief of the home news. And and by the way, the reason I picked the home news, I was a paper boy for the home news. I wasn't. <laughs> I worked for them as a paper boy. I don't know if that counts enough to be interviewing presidential candidates, but he's the editor of the home news was kind enough to call me. And he said, James, you cannot, you're a paper boy. You cannot tell people you're a reporter for the home news. Do not do that anymore. But he was very nice. He gave me a tour of the home news and he, we sat down in his office and I said, can I please write for the home news? And he said, James, I, I have people with PhDs who sometimes don't get accepted for jobs here can't hire a 12 year old kid. So that was my first professional interviewing experience. Now I can say, listen, I'm calling on behalf of the James Altucher show and it's legit. And I've had other newspaper jobs since then. So the home news, I, I didn't give up. I persisted. And that's persistence for you. So, uh, there's, there's even more people running for president now. If you browse and spend time at fec.gov, uh, let me see if I can process by presidential candidates search candidates for president. Do they actually mention what their mission is on there or no? FEC.gov? Oh, no, no. You mean the candidates? Yeah. No, they do not. Like, okay, here's like, for instance, some candidates and how much money they've raised. Michael Bloomberg raised 1.1 billion. Joe Biden raised a little over a billion. And Donald Trump raised 811 million. But those are the top guys. This is for 2020. Let's go to some random person. Like, here's a person who, who ran as an other Mr. Clifton Lee Roberts, and he raised four thousand dollars. Wow! And what what was his political party? Well, he's independent. Sometimes they list a party. Unitemized individual contributions were one thousand two hundred forty. Itemized individual contributions were three thousand four hundred sixty-five. And let's see, his committee is Clifton Roberts for president and national campaign committee for Clifton Roberts in twenty sixteen. And by the way. He still was in the top 100. There, there's thousands of people here. So let me see. I'm just going to Google Clifton Roberts. Is he like a congressman or something? Or is he nobody? He's, oh, his party is called the Humane Party. 
It's a nice name. Oh. Uh, oh, and the Humane Party is even in Wikipedia. Uh, it's the Humane Party emerged in 2009, seeking rights and legal legal personhood for all animals. So, Wait, Jay, your dog would have voting rights. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they like, just go so, there and they just sniff? Like, so they have to have treats by the booth, right? Like, they would just go for the best smelling treats and then they just put their paw. And then yeah, vote. maybe. I mean, you'd have to really campaign. You need more than a billion dollars win for president if that was. Uh, let me see how to find if you could go to the next page. Oh yeah, there's so so I have a hundred results per page, and there's twelve hundred pages. So let's let's even go. So wait, hundred per page, twelve hundred pages. So there's hundred twenty thousand. Uh yeah, it must be that many people. So here's here's Kenny Rodeo. Kenny Rodeo raised zero dollars. I mean, I, with a name like Kenny Rodeo, I gotta Google it. Give me, give me this moment, Kenny Rodeo. I almost want to vote for him just because of his name. Okay, so he has a website, Kenny Rodeo for President 2020. Let's meet Mr. Rodeo, or it could be Dr. Rodeo. You never know. Okay, so here's Kenny Rodeo for president. Meet Kenny. Eh, it looks like looks like a nice guy. He's out, he's out in the country. Um, come join us at the mountain. I don't know if I want to do that. It sounds like a cult sort of thing. Headquartered in beautiful, vibrant Colorado Springs, Kenny Rodeo and the Kenny Rodeo 2020 President Election Committee extend a warm welcome to you. Well, it does look pretty. And he has, and Ginger is Kenny Rodeo's faithful dog companion and campaign mascot. This is not the humane guy by the way this is oh. just he doesn't this guy doesn't have a party kenny rodeo is a patriot and he's a transformational leader and he's a rugged individualist well that's all i needed to know really well transformation leaders i feel like every candidate have transformation leader yeah like if you're not or no maybe well maybe i want a uh, a candidate who says listen i'm gonna do absolutely nothing things are fine and i don't agree with the last president maybe but i'm just gonna do nothing because that's it. You know, but I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let me see. Is there... Well, okay, he didn't really... He didn't raise any money, but he filed to run for president. So here is my experiment. I filed to run for president. It took me 15 minutes. Now, if anyone says to me, listen, you don't have a right to talk about this, blah, blah, blah. I say, yes, I do. I'm running for president. What gives you the right to talk about it? <laughs> and, and, you know, once you do something, it triggers... Cognitive. First off, it was an experiment. I learned how to fill out some paperwork on fbc.gov. I realized it was a lot easier than I thought. Like at first, right. I called my lawyer. I called my accountant. Like, what do I need to do? Can you look at this website? And they're like, you just go there. Just go to the site and do it. So I did it. And I learned how many people are running this. 1,200 pages of, sorry, it's 30 choices each. So there's about 4,000 people who ran for president in 2020. And... I think that's pretty cool because everybody should have different voices and 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 like what I was saying earlier, but everybody has different issues that they care about. Nobody knows everything about every single issue. It forced me to think, like if I had to express my platform, for instance, okay, there are some issues I really care about, but also what's really important and that hardly any president talks about is what's my style of governing? Like, let's say I don't know anything about, I don't know, the level of carbon emissions in the air. Or let's say I don't know anything about 
this situation in Myanmar. Um, now, there's, there's like 180 countries. I'm not going to know everything about every country. So you, you learn, well, how am I going to delegate and how am I going to pick people and how am I going to, how do you learn to focus on what's important to you? And not that I'm seriously thinking I, I could win, right? That's not the point. The point is it, once you do something, you have a cognitive bias that, hey, now I did this. So your brain thinks, well, James did this. Uh, he must be taking it seriously. So he should start thinking about what he would do as president, even though I know it's a ridiculous thought. Like, obviously, a Democrat or Republican is going to win. I still, uh, my party is going to be the the skip the line party because I'm just skipping the line. Or people might be like the choose yourself party idea better. I'm still trying to decide. And, uh, you know, I want to have a, a, what's my philosophy of governing, not just my issues, not just and and a philosophy of governing is something you don't often hear about, but. You, you view politics as a market of ideas. And, and the only reason someone should run is not because they think they're popular or not because they're ambitious or not because they want power or money, but because they think they have unique ideas better than anyone else. And these ideas you should try. So I, I, this is why I think you should run. I think everybody listening to this should run because a it's funny and you could print up the document that's on the government site there's nothing bad that can happen. Uh, as far as I know, I've, I've, I've did this a few months ago and, uh, uh, you, you print it up, you can frame it, whatever you're running for president. You could actually have a party or two. It's just a funny thing and come up with a platform, go through the exercise. Like don't look up the Democrat platform, the Republican platform, go through the exercise of figuring out what you care about. So for instance, let's say you care about the climate and everybody should care about the climate, whether, no matter what you believe in. Well. I realize I don't really know a lot of things. Like some people say, oh, this is happening. But other people say, oh, that data is BS. And by the way, that's scientists on both sides who have, who have told me this. And so what's the truth? I have to research this. Well, and, I, and I'll say, well, how about, what, what about hydroelectric or geothermal or wind energy? And people say, oh, well, that's powered by electric grids, which are powered by fossil fuels. And I'm like, well, okay, what about nuclear fusion? Oh, it's, it's used in France, but it's banned in the US. Why? I don't know. So it forces you to really think through to the end, the issues you care about. And, you know, what do I think about, you know, uh, student loans, for instance, what do I think about the housing market? What do I think about the federal reserve changing interest rates? What do I think about Bitcoin? The, now the government has a different view of currency than people do. The government collects taxes in their currency. The currency a government uses to collect taxes is the only legal currency in that country, supposedly. And so what, what do I, what's my stance on the role of Bitcoin? Now, as an investor and as a private citizen, I love Bitcoin. I love the ideas behind it, which is the topic of another podcast. But well, how would I feel if I was the president and suddenly I can't spy on everyone by how they, by their bank transactions, you know, Part of the idea of uh, an official legal currency is that the government knows everything you do. This is what, for anyone who needs to know, this is part of what Palantir Technologies does is they are hired by the banks to look for suspicious activity in money transactions. Well, you can't do that with Bitcoin because Bitcoin has a lot more privacy and it's decentralized. It's person to person. It's not all controlled by one Federal Reserve. Well, and how do I feel about the printing of money to in bailouts? Or how do I feel about, I don't know, 
blue collar licensing laws? Or how do I feel about the high prison? The U.S. has the highest per capita prison rate in the world. How do I feel about all these issues? And you can only care about so many issues. So again, what is my philosophy of governing? How do I make sure? Like, I like how Lincoln, for instance, uh, had some of his political enemies in his cabinet. Now, was that a good idea or a bad idea? That's what Doris Kearns Goodwin's book about, um, what was her book called? Uh, gosh, I read it and I totally forget what it was called. I should have her on my podcast. Jay, let's get her on my podcast. Sure. Uh, she wrote uh, that, wow, she's 78 years old. Oh, then they might not be able to come to the podcast. We'll do a remote. I mean, Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. Great book. So he had a certain philosophy of governing, which many presidents don't have. And, you know, what? how do I feel? I like also how James Knox Polk, he promised before he ran, he ran in 1844, he promised before he ran, he would only run for one term. So it wouldn't be like he was actively trying to court popular opinion during his term. He could just do what he wanted to do. And he lived up to his promise. He did not run in 1848. Uh, Zachary Taylor did. And, you know, I think he's the only, James Knox Polk is the only president in history to promise he would not run again and, and live up to that promise. Many presidents only served one term, but he's the only one who, who said it in advance. And he didn't care. And by the way, he, people don't realize this. He was responsible for the largest land purchase in U.S. history, which is the Northwest Territory. Most people think it's the Thomas Jefferson with the uh, uh, Louisiana with, with the Louisiana Purchase. But let me see, James Knox, which president acquired the most land? I just googled it. James Knox Polk, a million square miles of land for the United States, and Thomas Jefferson acquired the Louisiana Purchase, which is eight hundred twenty-eight thousand miles. So not as big as what James Knox Polk. So use this trivia at a cocktail party on during the next President's Day, and you'll be a big hit with your friends, I'm sure. So what we what Jay did actually, I asked Jay and I thought of this idea. Let's make a Facebook group so people who are listening to this and who decide to run for president can post. You know, they can file with the FEC if you want. It's not a requirement, but it's kind of funny. I do recommend people do that because you see how the process works and it's a good little experiment to do. But then go to, we, we made a home for you. So go to, uh, uh, Jay, what's the, yep. what's the name of the group? It's facebook.com slash groups slash president 2.0. So the, the group name is You Should Run for President. You should run for president and you can see what groups I'm in and I'm in the group. I'm an admin of the group. So yep. it's Jay. Uh, let me see. Okay, here, I'm going. In. And we just launched this group today, actually. Thank you, yep. Jay. It's got a nice You're little welcome. banner. It's got You're Uncle welcome. Sam. And it says you should run for president 2.0. And we've got 18 members. And uh, Jay, you want to be chief of staff? Yes, I could be chief of staff, you know, or I can be a henchman. Actually, you're right. You could be the chief of staff. You you will be my chief of staff. So that's, that's an appointed official. And yep. usually the chief of staff is fired after the first year. But you've managed <laughs> you've managed to survive for a good five years with See, me that, so far. That's the thing. So, Have, is there any Asian chief, chief of staff out there before? Um, that's a good question. I don't think so. You'll yep. become famous as the first Asian chief of staff. Maybe that's my platform is I will hire the first Asian chief of staff <laughs> if you vote for me. I will get the entire Asian vote. I'll yes. the, the whole Yang gang will co convert to me. <laughs> and so you'll um uh 
that's probably racist somehow. I don't know, but I love Andrew Yang. I'm I'm Yang Gang. I like Andrew, um, but I don't know if I'd vote for him. But I I I, I love the guy. He's a great guy. And uh, let's see, there's, there's already people posting. Nobody's posted their platform yet. Maybe because I said I'm going to post my platform tomorrow. But by the time this podcast comes out, maybe people will start posting. So yeah. you, the group is called "You Should Run for President," and you should. And I will post in there my platform, my political platform. I'm very serious about it. And again, this is the nature of experiments. It's not like this is a life-changing experiment, but I learned a lot and I'm happy that I did it. Uh, and you don't have to learn a lot. You can learn a little bit. I once did a, a Kickstarter about uh, where I tried to buy Greenland. I think I talk about that in another podcast. I certainly talk about that in my book, Skip the Line. And I do lots of experiments all the time. Some of them are silly. Some of them are very serious, like when I'm trying to validate a business idea or when I'm trying to improve at investing or comedy or writing. Those I'm always doing those experiments on the things that I love because it's how you skip the line. It's, it's how you get in the top 1% of your field. But today's experiment for the purposes of this podcast was why you should run for president of the United States in the next 10 minutes. And... Again, it, uh, the nature of an experiment is it's very easy to do very quickly. Else, don't waste your life on it. Like, don't, don't I know I know one person who spent six months raising two million dollars for a business, then spent the nine month next nine months programming the product, and then found out nobody was interested. So, if this person had done experiments, they would have found out much sooner and not wasted a year and a half or more of their life. And so. Just by doing this process, I learned new things about the government. I learned new things about my own issues. And just, it made me think we should have many choices for president. It doesn't make sense that there are only two groups where everyone in one group magically believes in the same 80 things and everyone in the other group magically believes the exact opposite. By the way, I found some newspaper articles. Uh, well, you could do the search on newspapers.com. Search for most important election ever. And, uh, and you all, I also had some fond memories of Jim Boren and other presidential candidates that I've interviewed. It made me, it made me think about when I first started interviewing at the age of 12, I was so bad, but I, I loved it. And maybe that's why I do the podcast today. And again, the key about doing experiments is it allows you to skip that BS 10,000 hour roll. And of course, every experiment has potential for enormous upside. Now, don't forget, Thomas Edison tried 10,000 times to make a light bulb, 9,999 of them failed. So most experiments fail, but you still, as he said, I learned 9,999 ways how not to make a light bulb. So he had a, a positive growth mindset about it, but there is a slight chance that I will win. Very slight, one in a billion, gazillion, more more atoms than there are in the universe chance, but it's, it's a, that gives me hope. And, and, and 0 0.01 it, chance is still more than 0%, you know? Exactly, exactly. 0.100% chance is more than zero. And I promise you this, if I win for president of the United States in 2024, Jay Yao will be my chief of staff. Thank you very much.
Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.